This morning as I was rushing to, to get ready and to come here, uh, my youngest son in the hallway he came up to me and said, Dad, I got I to gotta tell you about this, this prank I played on, played on Luke, an April Fool's joke. And I said, Joel, this is not April Fool's anymore. That was a few days ago. Uh, this, is, this is Easter. This is Resurrection Day. Now, this is the day that, that Jesus played the best joke ever on, on the devil. You know, the devil, uh, it's like Jesus was saying to the devil, oh, you, you thought I was in that grave, huh? Well, guess what? I'm not. That grave is empty now. Oh, you thought you had, you had killed me. Oh, that's what you thought. Guess what? I'm alive. Devil, you thought that you had won. You thought that you had defeated God? It didn't happen. No way, devil. You did not win. In fact, I have defeated you, and my resurrection proves this. And not only that, devil, you wanted to bring all these people that I love with you to hell forever. But guess what? Because of what you did, fool, because of you putting me to death on the cross, that made the way for me to redeem all of humanity so that anyone and everyone that turns to me for forgiveness have their sins washed away and find new life in me, not because of their goodness, but because of what I have done for them. So devil, uh, by what you have done, I am victorious. I have, I have kicked your only weapon out of your hand and you are defeated. And that's what we are thinking about today. That's what we celebrate here on, on Resurrection Sunday this morning. This message today is from 1 Peter chapter 4. We've been going through 1 Peter, and that's uh, what we do here. We work our way through books of, of the Bible, take whatever God gives us, and really felt no need to move away from uh, 1 Peter this morning because this passage is perfect for us to think about what it means for us to have new life in Christ and what it means that if we have died and been raised with Christ, how that affects and changes everything. The passage, or the message this morning, I've titled, The Life After Death. And by that, I don't mean just the afterlife, in the sense of what happens after you breathe your last, and you go either to, to heaven or you go to hell. That type, of, that type of afterlife, that's true. And obviously what we're going to talk about, this has ramifications for that. But really, I want to talk about life after death even now, already. And we can think about this in two ways. One, this is true for, for Jesus Christ, that he has his life after death because he died on the cross, and then he was made alive, he was resurrected again. But also, we're going to especially be talking about our life after death, that there is truth to the fact that there's reality that there is a real way that you and I, if you are a Christian, if you are born again, that we have already died and we have already been made alive, but we are in this life after death now already. If you are united to Christ, your life after death has started already. And if you realize that, if that sinks in, that starts changing everything. Again, we are in 1 Peter chapter 4, and going through this, and we have to remember that when Peter wrote this, he didn't put the chapter divisions in there. Those were added later. So this was all continuous. So we have to read this with what came before this in mind. So when we look at the 
paragraph that we talked about last week, it would said quite a few things, but it talked about Christ suffering once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, uh, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. So Christ died, he was put to death, he suffered death for us, but it doesn't end there because it talks then about being made alive in the Spirit. It talks about his resurrection, that Jesus uh, was brought back from the dead. And we think about the resurrection, that's, that's what we mean. And we say the resurrection as we celebrate that this morning, we're not just saying that Jesus somehow metaphorically rose from the dead. Okay, we don't mean he just symbolically rose from the dead or he rose as some kind of spirit or some kind of force ghost or something like this. Uh, we don't mean that he just even just rose again in our hearts. Okay, Jesus literally rose from the dead. It means that his uh, immaterial soul, the, the soul of the God-man that was separated from his body after he died on the cross, was reunited with the physical body, put back together. That's what resurrection is. So he's a unity again of his, uh, his, his soul and spirit along with his, his human body. And so this is the, the resurrection we're talking about. And then in the passage from last time, it goes on and says, uh, through resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. You think, well, if Jesus r- was raised from the dead, where is he now? Is the resurrection over? No, Jesus is still united with his human body. That's a permanent thing. And he needs it to be our great high priest for us. But he now, with that body, is at the right hand of God the Father until he returns for us later on. And it says, with the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him, just reigning over all, whether people recognize that or not. So let's read this passage, 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6, and we'll talk about what God is teaching us. Verse 1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the way that people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. It's a great passage. We will be looking through this. And I want to talk about just verse 1 here to begin with. And the underlying truth I want to summarize in this way. Those who have died with Christ are dead to sin. That if you have died with Christ, we'll explain what that means, that you are, you are dead to sin. Again, verse 1 says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. So it's about what we think about, part of this. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. What does this mean? When we say it's, if you've suffered in the flesh you've ceased from sin. Now, if we uh, take time to, to, to think about this, 
I realized, does that really make, seem to make sense? It seems to say that if you're, if you're undergoing suffering, you've gone through hard things, you're going through hard things, a lot of people experience a lot of suffering, that you, just, you don't sin anymore. And we have to ask ourselves, does that seem like it's actually true? Because there's a very real sense where all of us would say, you know what, I, that doesn't really seem like it is true. Because every one of us has gone through some type of suffering in this life. I mean, physical suffering, emotional suffering, relational suffering, a lot of different suffering. And sometimes it's very ongoing and it's very, very acute, very painful. Now, sometimes God does use that to break us of certain sins and to help us with that. But maybe you also find that, well, I, I still sin. I still have sins and struggles in my life. And we know that there are, there are plenty of people, especially those that, that don't know Christ, where sometimes their suffering uh, doesn't help them at all, but it hardens them and it bakes them into their sin and their bad uh, behavior and their rejection and their unfortunate decisions and all these different things. So that should cause us to think maybe this verse might mean something different than what we might assume it means just on first glance if we're not looking at it in the context of everything else that we're reading this in. But remember, we just saw that this is being written in this uh, sense of, of Christ suffering uh, for us and being raised to, to new life. And in last week's passage, it talked about us being united with Christ in his death and, and resurrection. We'll talk a little bit more about that again. So with that in mind, there's a few things we can think of. I want to propose to you that when it says here that Christ suffered, I think it specifically means that Christ was killed, that he was put to death. As sometimes it said, he suffered death. And sometimes we, we say it that way. And that when it talks about uh, suffering or suffering death for Christ, and for us, I think it means both of these uh, suffering death. One, because general suffering doesn't make us cease from sin. Another, the way that this was written by Peter in the original language in, in Greek, the way that it's written, suffered and have suffered, they're written in a way that indicates that this happened at a point in time. This is not about ongoing suffering. This is about a, a, something that happened at a point in time. And also, when we look back a few verses, I think this confirms it. So we look back a little bit. In verse 318, that's where it says that Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. When we stop there, we see what, what a great summary of the gospel message that that is. That Jesus Christ, that he suffered, he suffered once. Okay, so this is about a, a, a one-time thing that, that he did. Not just this ongoing, ongoing, ongoing suffering. And then it explains more particularly what this, what this means. And it says that he suffered once for sins. Uh, later on it says being put to death in the flesh. And it's basically saying the same thing in two different ways. So the suffering it's talking about is, is suffering death, being put to death. And we see in the passage that Jesus did this, did this once. It's once and done. He doesn't uh, come back and have to die on the cross every year on a yearly basis. Old Testament sacrifice, they had to keep going year after year, but Jesus didn't. It was finished. It was once and done. And that's going to be really important as we figure out this, this passage, that his mission that he had taking on sin was done when he died. And he did this as a substitute for us. It says the righteous 
for the unrighteous. He's the only one that's ever been righteous, that's lived a fully righteous life, always obeying God's law, never breaking God's law or falling short of it. Everyone else, we are sinners. You are sinners. Okay, all of you, I'm, I'm pointing to everyone. I feel like the pastor pointed to me and said I was a sinner. Yep, that's what I'm doing. And guess what? You can point at me too. Okay, everyone do that because, yes, sinners, that's who we are. And the only way for us to be saved is to have this substitute, Jesus Christ, the God-man, who died in our place and rose in our place. He died for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Not just to save us from hell, that's part of it, but the even better part is to bring us to God, our ultimate treasure, the one that we're made for, the one that created us. And this is being put to death in flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So when we get back to our passage in 1 Peter 4, 1, I really think that when it is talking here about Christ suffered in the flesh, I think, think of this meaning that Christ died. He was put to death for us. So for Christ, it says when he suffered in the flesh, there's a sense that he was done with sin. I mean, he had only uh, been a sinner, in a sense, for a little while. He never committed sin, but he legally took upon himself our sin when he went to the cross. The, the, the sinless one taking our sin upon himself. But that was done when he died. And so when he died, he was done with sin. He was done with that mission of taking on our sin. And there is also a way that for us, that when we die in the same way, that we are done with sin as well. So let me ask you this question. Have you died yet? Have you died yet? Well, physically, no. That's why you're still here, and I'm glad you're here, and you're breathing oxygen, your heart is beating, and we know that there is a sense where uh, when we do die physically, if you are a believer, that you will be done with sin. You know, right now we have the, the old part of us and the new part of us that Christ is renovating, and they're, they're, they're battling it out together. And hopefully, you know, as time goes by, the new part of you is more victorious and is, is, is winning the fight, and you're becoming more like Christ but you still find all these struggles in your heart, all these, all these sins, this, this deep down uh, just rebellion and wickedness and all this that, that still remains in our heart. And we look forward to the day when, when that'll be just gone and we won't have that, that struggle with sin. Christ has already paid for the sin, but there's a day when it will be also just removed from us. And so there's a sense that that will happen in the future, but, but what about now? And that's what I think this passage is, is really talking about. It's, it's talking about now. The spiritual truth that I think Peter wants us to realize, and what I want you to realize, it, it, and this is, this, this is mind-blowing, but the truth is that if you have been united to Christ, then you have died already, and you have been raised already with Christ. Let me say that again. If you have been united to Christ through faith, that means you're you're a born-again Christian, that you are saved. That's the only way that you're being saved is by being united to Christ. Then you are united 
into his death, and you are united with him into, into his resurrection as well. And we see this is what, what baptism represents, that when we baptize someone that becomes a believer, and we, we dunk them in the water, and we put them under, and we, we bring them back up, that's not what saves anyone, that physical act of, of putting somebody in the water and bringing them up. What saves someone is the spiritual reality that that act represents, what it pictures. Something that, if you have trusted Christ, has already happened to you. And that reality is that when you trusted Christ, you were united to him. Scripture talks about being in Christ. It's like you're put in him, like in, in a capsule or a, like a submarine. And uh, last week, uh, Peter described it as like being in, in, encased in the ark. And you are you're put in Christ into his death, and then you are raised with him into new life. So that what Jesus Christ did for you as your substitute is, is legally and spiritually true of you in the eyes of God because you have been united to Christ who did this for you and therefore you have done this with him. You see this truth unpacked in, in Romans chapter 6 and starting with uh, verse 4 it says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. And again, I don't think this is talking about water baptism. I think this is talking about the spiritual baptism that water baptism represents. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We're united to Christ. So if you have been united to him, these things are true of you. So Christian, you need to think of your life now in this way. Although you still struggle with sin, you need to consider yourself. Arm yourself with this way of thinking. Consider yourself already dead and now risen. Dead to sin and alive to Christ. That's how Romans 6.11 puts it. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus really did die. And if you've been united to him, you have died too. Jesus really did rise from the dead. And if you are united to him, you have risen to new life also. So now live out of your your new life. Don't live in the old. There's a life that is your life that is past. And now that we've been raised to this new life, if you were in him, this needs to cause, this should cause, this must cause, a a change in our life going forward from here on out. And that's what Peter goes on to talk about in the rest of these verses. So as Peter goes on, we'll summarize the second half of this message like this. Live the rest of the time, that's a direct quote from this passage, the rest of the time, with a different kind of life. Let's work through this. Verses 2 and 3. Let me read again. So as to live, talking about ceasing from sin. Okay, what does this mean? We still do struggle with sin. Okay, but we're supposed to consider ourselves dead to sin. That's our, that's our old life. That's the old us. The new life, the new us 
that's being transformed is dead to sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices in doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Notice in this, there's kind of two phases to life that it talks about, and I have them in bold here. It talks about, in verse 3, it talks about the time that is past. Okay, so there's, there's the time that is behind you. You know, we are not like God. God can exist at all times at the same time. You know, we exist on this timeline, and we go along it, and there's, there's now, and there's every day in the calendar before that, that, was, uh, that we've already been through, everything that, that's already in the past. And for us, there's everything that's in the future. So for us, there's the, the time that is, that is past, but there's also the time ahead, uh, the, the rest of the time. And maybe as you think about your life and you think about the time that has passed, maybe it brings you a lot of, a lot of sorrow. Maybe you think about the time has passed and you realize that there have been some mistakes, that there have not just mistakes but, but sins. There's been, there's been foolishness, there's been destructive choices, there's been sin, there's rebellion, there's been wasted years, all of these different things. There's the time that has passed. And you know what? There's, there's nothing you can do about that at this point. You can't... Go back in time and change that, okay? There's, there's no uh, DeLorean that you can hop into. There's no, there's no TARDIS, okay? There's no magic phone booth that you can go back and travel in the past and redo these things. Christ can forgive you of those things because of his death and resurrection, but those things, they're done. And so often they still have ramifications now in your life and in your relationships and uh, what it's caused ripple effect in other people's lives, so the past, that, that can't be changed, that, that can't be done. History is history. But focus on the phrase that says, the rest of the time. The rest of the time doesn't need to be the same as the time that has passed. That this can be new. God wants it to be new. There's a, there's a, a fork in the road for you. So that no matter how the time in the past has been, now is the time for you to start living in this, out of this new life in Christ. Realizing that the, the sin and everything in your past is dead and you are dead to it. But now there are changes. There's a different route, a different direction you can take. And no, you're not going to be able to do it on your own strength. And you don't have to do it on your own strength because the God that, that saved you is still with you. And the Holy Spirit now, if you're a believer, is in you to help you live this new life in this new direction for God. So now we live this new life in this different way, as though we are dead to sin but alive to God. Not for the, the sinful desires that it talks about, no, living no longer for the human passions, the things that we want to do or at least our, our body wants us to do. And so often people live out of those things. We don't live for our, our sinful desires anymore, but for God's desire, his holy desire, his holy moral will for us. That's now what we choose to live for. Not to, to be saved, but because being saved and being raised, we realize this is right and this is, this is good. This pleases God and it's actually what is good and best for us as well. And so we need to consider ourselves dead to the, the old things. The old things that are still part of our old 
part of our life that is hanging on to us, but, it, but is destined to be, to be completely shut off. And so when we think about the, the sins and the struggles that you have, you need to start with, with the, the mental battle. When you see, you see bitterness in your heart, say, bitterness, you, you are dead to me. Hatred, you are, you are dead to me. Jealousness, envy, you are, you are dead to me. Drunkenness, you're, you're dead to me. Pornography, you are dead to me. Pride, selfishness, all these things, you're dead to me. That's the mindset God wants us to have as we move forward. Realizing that you, spiritually and in the eyes of God, have been already raised to new life. Start living out of that new life instead. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles, here it's talking about just the unbelievers, every, the world, everyone else, that they do and they love doing, and it gives this list of sins, and says, you've been living this way long enough. Don't tell yourself, oh, I just need a little more, just a little more time to do that. Nope, it's you've way too much already. Time for the new is already here. And the sins Peter talks about here, they were common then and they're, they're common now. And most of these sins that he lists in these verses can be grouped into a a few different categories. Several of these are about sexual sins, sexuality, passions, orgies. And so list these different sexual sins, and several of them are about, well, substance abuse, uh, getting high, getting drunk, drunkenness, drinking parties. And, you know, it's not my point here to single out some sins and not others. Every sin is terrible. Every sin is an affront and a rebelliousness against God and is, is bad for us and harmful to our relationship with God and with, with others. But I think there is something here. If we think about at least those two categories of, of sin, I think we can all observe just how many problems in life, how much devastation in life to, to people, to relationships, to others, Oftentimes, you can trace it back to two of those different clusters of sins. Having sex with somebody that you're not married to, or getting drunk, getting high. I think they're especially destructive to relationships and to families. And maybe there is some of that in the time that has passed. But God, through the blood of Christ, forgives that. But today is the day, move forward with him into something new, a different type of life. Yeah, but maybe you think, well, I've escaped those type of sins. Well, yeah, it lists another one, too, lawless idolatry. And back in those days, yeah, people would worship golden idols and, and different false gods. You think, well, we don't do that today, but, man, we worship the almighty dollar. People worship all kinds of things, that it's way higher than them than the, the living God and the one that's truly Lord. Whether it's money or, you say, well, I don't, I don't worship money. I just worship the things money can buy. <laughs> Or they worship themselves, their own pride, their own success. Sometimes people today put their own uh, political ideologies above, above the Lord. And whether that's, you know, worshiping the uh, crusade of, of, of wokeness or the other side or any of these things, it's, they make politics or just something that is their, their Lord above what God is. We need to put all that behind us. That he is, he is the risen Lord. He is the one that we live for. So we live a changed life, but realize this is going to cause friction. This is going to cause problems. And First Peter's been talking about this. 
that there, there are going to be hardships in the Christian life. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be people that are, that are irked at you, even if you are living as Christ-like as possible, because this new life is going to make people uncomfortable. And so, as we go on and we read the rest of this, it says, verse 4, with respect to this, they are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery, but they malign you. When you die to your old ways, it will disturb your old friends. Because sin loves company. And when you stop doing these things, even if you are as kind as possible, and you're trying not to judge people, and we, we shouldn't be judging other people in the sense of looking down on them, we're saved just by the grace of God. We are sinners. We point the, the finger to ourselves most of all as, as sinners and people that have fallen short. And we're saved just by his grace. But even being as kind as we can to other people, the fact that you don't do these things that you used to do, you don't go to the same parties, you don't carry on in the same way, you don't tell the same jokes and love the same things, people are going to feel judged about it because you don't carry on in the same. They want you to do the same thing, even if it's destructive to you, because it makes them feel better. Because misery loves company, sin loves company. And this is why people are oftentimes, they're going to malign you. They're going to mistreat you. They'll slander you. They'll accuse you of different stuff because it's touching a nerve and it's, it's reminding them of the, their sin and guilt. And what they really need to do is, is to come to Christ, the one that can take that guilt away. And we want to pray for them and help them to come to Christ to receive that, that free gift as well that we've received. But we need to realize in the meantime that sometimes they will lash out at you or behind your back. And Peter was warning people that there was, in those days, there was going to be heavy persecution that was coming, and some were even going to be put to death. Christians may have been uh, killed. There would be more that would be killed. Nero's persecution was coming. But he goes on and says, But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That the world may judge you. And when it talks about, later on, judged in the flesh, I think that's talking about people being killed for their faith. But they may judge you, they may look down upon you, they may do bad things to you. But one day, everyone is going to be judged by the the only judge that really matters. The judge of, of the universe, the judge that matters most. And he will judge us as the living and the dead. That whether you are alive when Christ returns or whether you have dead, you can't escape judgment by dying. Sometimes people, they can. They can uh, just imagine that they can, they can commit suicide or if they die in this world without being caught for their sins, that uh, they've escaped judgment. Think of Hitler. You know, all the atrocities that he committed, and it just seems so unfair and unjust you know, that uh, when... The, the enemy's closing in, he knows he's done, he, he kills himself. And if human justice is all there is, then he got off. But the truth is that there is the judge of all judges, the one that we all stand before. Death is no escape for the wicked. But not only is death no escape for the wicked, death is also no defeat for the saved, for those that are in Christ. That's why verse 6 says, For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are, I'm going to say now dead. I think now is implied there. And some translations put that in. 
that though judged in the flesh, and I think that means even killed by other people, the way that people are, they might live in the Spirit the way that God does. I think this is about Christians who are, who are now dead. I think that's what has this make sense. They were still alive when the gospel was preached to them. But Peter's saying, even if you're seeing some of your Christian friends, that they've, they've been killed, they're, they're not here already. Don't think that they've been defeated. Don't think that everything is lost for them. Because they're saved. They're, they're alive with God. They, they win, and God's going to even raise them from the dead one day. They're on, they're on the winning team. Uh, there's nothing more that the enemy can even do to them. They are not lost in defeat. Death is not the end. They're spiritually alive. The gospel gives eternal life. It's preached, and when we respond to it in faith, and we receive that so that you're united with Christ, his death and resurrection become true of us. That becomes locked in. This is a, a, a gift, a, an eternal life that starts now that, that no one can take away. The people in this world can't take it away. The devil can't take it away. Even you can't take it away from yourself. It is, it is locked in. And so what I think that Peter is communicating to us uh, in this last part here, we could summarize it like this, that it is better to be physically dead and spiritually alive than to be physically alive and spiritually dead. And so which are you? Because even if you are killed for your faith, you're still spiritually alive. You receive this eternal life that, that starts now and that continues forever. Or you have people that they might be physically alive right now, but they're dead to God. They're separated from, from him. Cut off from true life and meaning and purpose. And if you die in that state, you are cut off from God forever. It is better to be disconnected from your body but united to God than united with your body but separated from God. Let me come back to where we started this message. If you are united to God, your life after death has already started. Because you have died with him, you've been raised to new life with Christ. God is not asking you to live a different life so that he will save you. God is asking you to live a new life because he has already saved you and because by being united to Christ in his death and resurrection for you, this is the new spiritual but true reality for you. And here's the big question for each person here. Have you been united to Christ? This is not something that you do on your own. This is not something you can conjure up with your willpower. You don't do this by trying to be good or to turn a new leaf. Scripture says this is something that happens by grace alone through faith alone. It is a gift of God. He did it all. He paid it all on the cross. He did everything that was required. It is a gift to you. All you need to do is turn to him and receive this gift. And so, yeah, we, 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 instead of following sin, we turn to him. And this is what the Bible describes as faith. Trust. Belief that you trust Christ. You don't earn this salvation. You don't earn being united to Christ. But by placing your faith in Jesus Christ, then you're united to him. And the instant that happens, you're born again. You're born into this new relationship. You've died and you've been made alive. As I close in prayer, and as we prepare hearts for communion, 
I ask that if if you're not sure about this, I hope that God has spoken to your heart and that you would use this time to ask God to unite you to Christ through faith. And for all of us, that we would live new lives because of this. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this truth that we celebrate here on Resurrection Day. That Christ, who had been put to death in the flesh, has been made alive. That he is alive spiritually and physically and in reality, Lord God, to die forever, never again, Lord. And we thank you that it is also true that those of us who have been united to Christ have been united in his death and in his resurrection. And that's why we are saved. And that's why we have new life, Lord God. God, help us to live out of that new life, to consider ourselves already dead to sin, but alive to you. And it is hard, Lord. Give us the strength and the help that we need to take this new path and to live for you. And as we do stumble, Lord God, continue to forgive us and help us on the way. Lord, I also pray for anyone here that is unsure or has not been united to you. And I pray that even right now, they would come to you and say, Lord God, I admit that I am a sinner. I've rebelled against you in so many ways and I do not deserve eternal life. But I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. The God-man died once, the righteous for the unrighteous, for me. to bring me to you, to cleanse me of my sin. God, I ask that you would unite me to Christ. I believe I trust Jesus Christ and him alone. Save me because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Lord God, for those that have just believed and those that have believed for years, let us live for you because you died and rose for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.